So I had just started this job on March 16th. My job before that, I had been unhappy for quite a while and had been searching for a new role for probably eight to nine months. Started March 16th, I went into the office for half a day that day. And then pretty much from there, I went remote because COVID had started. That was especially unfortunate for me because one of the reasons I was unhappy in my role prior to that is that it was a completely remote position. And when you're not in the office with your superiors, working side by side with them, having that dialogue, they're being able to see how much work you put in and what a good employee you are, it hurts not only relationships, but growth opportunities. And I was really excited to get into a role that would put me back into an office and around other humans again. So COVID immediately took that away from me. I'm a recruiter. That's what I've always done. And of course, once COVID hit, everyone stopped hiring. So I was this brand new recruiter at this tech startup and we weren't hiring. As millions of Americans lost their jobs overnight when COVID first hit, millions more made their final trips to the office before settling down to work from home. It's an incredibly important part of our collective COVID story to point out that for many, working from home has been the single greatest change COVID has forced on their lives. Working from home is hard and it can have serious consequences for someone's mental health. And sure, working from home existed as an idea long before COVID, but it wasn't a real option for most people. For some, it was simply a long-held dream of a more ideal work environment, one that offered flexibility without requiring clear compromise. But life is full of trade-offs, and many people who have experienced it describe working from home as a potentially isolating experience that can seriously limit an employee's opportunities for long-term growth and career advancement. And that's especially true if there's someone who already faces systemic challenges pursuing those goals in the first place. Meet Cassie. She lives in Tennessee, just north of Nashville. She worked from home for two years, and right before COVID hit, she had finally landed a new job, one with a local startup. But within a week, the first wave of lockdowns had begun, and Cassie found herself working from home again but this time, she wasn't alone. This is COVID Stories. You know, for me personally, I worked from home for over two years. And during those couple of years where my role was completely remote, I would try to talk to, you know, friends and family members about the struggles of working from home. And I think people thought I was ridiculous for complaining about being isolated and not having growth opportunities and feeling lonely. And they just, they couldn't wrap their mind around those struggles because when you don't work from home, working from home seems so amazing. And now everyone got put into that same boat and all of my friends and family members started complaining about how difficult working from home was. And I was like, yeah, where have you been the past couple of years when I've been telling you this? <laughs> so it was frustrating, but it was also kind of nice to see all these people who didn't understand those struggles finally understand it. And I don't mean that in a, you know, I wish that upon people kind of way. It was just, you know, going through that 
alone and feeling like no one understands those challenges and those struggles of working from home. You know, if you don't have someone living with you, or if you don't have people who are close to you who are going through the same thing, and that feels like an isolating experience that can absolutely affect your mental health. And once everyone else was in that same position, you know, it was, it was very validating to know that they all felt the same way. And I wasn't crazy for, you know, not loving every second of working from home. So when I got that remote position, it was because my husband and I were in Virginia. Uh, We were in Williamsburg, Virginia for about three years. And that was eight to 11 hours from everyone that we know and love here in Tennessee. So we were missing out on a ton of weddings and holidays because my husband's work schedule at that time was much less forgiving than mine and he didn't have a lot of time off around the holidays. So we finally made the decision that, you know, we're just going to move back to Tennessee. He was able to transfer with his company that he was with at the time. And I got a job in Nashville that was completely remote. So I had no idea what to expect. That was not an environment I was used to. My role before that was completely within the office. But I was excited for that flexibility. I had a new puppy, so that gave me the chance to really take care of her, which was great because she was very sick as a puppy. So there are pluses and minuses to it for sure. You know, if you have kids that you need to take the doctor, or in my case, the puppy going to the vet, work from home provides you with a lot of flexibility there. And it definitely teaches you how to organize your day and use time management and really be productive without having your supervisor there checking in on you and making sure that you are doing the things you're supposed to do. You know, you don't have that. You have to be a very independent worker to sustain working from home. I did that for two years. And like I said, I just felt like I was missing out on growth opportunities on the specific team I was on. There weren't a lot of growth opportunities, period. But especially without being around those leaders and getting to show your worth and your growth every day, it just really takes away from that. And it does become isolating, not being able to be around your coworkers and have people to talk to. And when you're having a hard day at work, having people to vent to who are going through the exact same thing as you. And in that particular role, my travel had increased quite a bit as well. So I was really excited to get into a role where I could be in the office, be around my team members, really form those strong relationships within the office and, you know, not be so isolated throughout the day. So I found this opportunity after eight to nine months of a job search, finding tons of opportunities, none of which felt like the right fit until that one. And when I got in there and they said, we're going remote, it was disappointing, but it was something I was so used to. And I, none of us knew how long this was going to go on. I was like, Oh, this is fine. We'll be back in the office in a couple months. Pretty much a week after I started, they went through their first round of layoffs. And I honestly couldn't believe I survived that because they had brought me in specifically for a lot of talent acquisition projects. And I tried to work on a little bit of that, but there's only so much you can do when no one's hiring. So About three months into it there, um, I helped them get ready to start their soft reopen of the office, put all those precautions into place and was going in a couple days a week for my last two weeks there. And my boss came into my office, sat down and said, we need to have a terrible conversation. And I just immediately said, oh no, am I being laid off or furloughed? And that was, that was that. 
I think he was not expecting for me to kind of laugh about it. You know, I think he was definitely anticipating waterworks and for me to be angry or upset. And obviously I was disappointed, but I understand, you know, the needs of the business, especially in a startup environment like that. So, you know, he just kept saying how sorry he was and how unfortunate it was. And that because we had immediately gone remote, he and I hadn't gotten to form, you know, a super strong relationship. So, I mean, it was unfortunate all around. They didn't want to have to let me go. I don't think anyone during all of COVID wanted to lay off their employees, right? So it was just unfortunate for everyone. He was extremely apologetic, but you know, I kind of find a small amount of comfort in knowing that I'm one of, you know, what is it, somewhere over 20 million Americans that have lost their jobs because of this. So at least I'm not alone, you know? <laughs> the first thought was, how am I going to tell my husband? He just started a new job as well and has survived now two sets of layoffs at that company. He started his job back in October 2019. So he's survived two rounds of layoffs so far. Hopefully we're not going to see any more. But I think, I think like everyone, when COVID hit and the layoffs started happening, we had that conversation of, you know, are we prepared if one or both of us lose our jobs? Are we in a position where we can survive, where we can pay our bills, where we won't lose our house, things like that. So we had had those conversations and we did feel prepared for that if that were to happen because with both of us being relatively new employees especially me we knew that we were probably some of the most at risk to potentially lose our positions because i think that tenure is definitely something that can be taken into account when making those choices as to who stays and who goes so we had had those conversations but just i think that's a scary thing to have to come home and tell your spouse that you know almost half of our household income is gone for who knows how long. You know, there's so much uncertainty. And I think my greatest fear was telling him not because I didn't think he would be supportive. I absolutely knew that he would be, but just, you know, you feel responsible for that portion of the income and taking care of the bills and pulling your own weight and having to say that you can no longer do that is just, not something I'd ever had to do before. So for a while, I was making more of our income than my husband was. Um, and then with his new position, it's really evened out. And I think having carried a large portion of the financial burden on my family for quite a few years, and now, you know, it wasn't that way anymore. But I think just I've carried that weight and I've felt very responsible um, for keeping things afloat. And that I hope that doesn't sound like I'm minimizing what my husband was contributing because I'm absolutely not. We couldn't have been doing what we were doing had he not been contributing what he was. But I think, you know, you just you carry that. And, you know, as a woman in society, I think you feel a little bit of guilt, maybe, or society wants you to feel guilt for making more than the man in the household. So there's just these weird societal pressures 
that made me feel nervous and scared going into that conversation. And, you know, he and I are partners. We are absolutely equals in this relationship and how we run our household. But yeah, I I do think that as a woman who has supplied so much to her family and worked so hard for so many years and now having to frankly, be dependent on my husband's income for the first time in my life is a weird feeling. I I have always provided for myself. I have always prided myself on that. And now having to lean on him, I'm obviously thankful for him and that I can do that. But it is a weird feeling in today's society being, you know, a strong, independent woman as, you know, we all refer to ourselves as. It is a weird feeling for sure. So when it happened, obviously, I wanted to tell him face to face. I did not want to text him from the office as soon as it happened or call him because I also knew that it would throw off the rest of his day. My husband is in sales and anyone who's in sales knows that you have to go into the day with a very specific mindset to be productive. And if you lose that, it can throw off your sales for the rest of the day. So I didn't want to do that. and. So actually, I had a hair appointment scheduled for that afternoon. Um, So I left straight from the office being laid off to get my hair cut for the first time since COVID had started. Um, So I got to tell my hairdresser first that about what had just happened. I kind of got to practice on someone. Um, So I practiced on my hairdresser, told her the whole story. I, you know, confided in her about being nervous about telling my husband. And then when I came home, Um, when I pulled into the driveway, my husband was pulling out, he was going to run some errands and I didn't want to tell him on his way out the door. So I kept waiting. And then when he came back, he brought home some food, we sat down and ate. And pretty much as soon as we were sitting together, I said, you know, I'm not sure how else to say this. So I'm just going to rip off the bandaid. Please know that this is not a joke. I'm very serious. I was laid off today because <laughs> um, I didn't want him to look at me and be like, you're kidding. You're joking, right? And have to be like, no, I'm not. So I definitely think telling him in person was the right move because had he not been able to see my face and my body language as I was telling him this, I think he would have been horrified and just spiraled and been so worried about everything, finances, our well-being. But because I was able to tell him and I I wasn't worried about it at the time. I don't know if it just hadn't hit me yet, but I truly was not worried. I was fine. I, you know, was very confident that I was going to be finding something quickly. <laughs> Haha. And because of that, it went really well. He was very understanding, very supportive, and it went really well. But I am so glad that I did it the way I did because otherwise it would not have been as pleasant of a conversation or day. So much has happened in 2020 that it's difficult to remember everything. Like how Nashville was devastated by a tornado that ripped through the east part of the city and decimated the nearby town of Cookville, with wind speeds measured at over 175 miles an hour. I grew up 72 miles north of Nashville, and I've hunkered down for a fair share of tornado warnings in my own life, and so has anyone who's lived through storm season in Tornado Alley. The community response in Nashville was swift and massive, but the storm's timing was more than unfortunate. 
coming just a few weeks before the Nashville business community began to lock down and before Cassie started her new job, the one she was eventually laid off from due to COVID just a few months later. With time on her hands, Cassie volunteered in the tornado recovery, and she witnessed both the devastation and the community's response firsthand. And later, when she was laid off due to COVID, Cassie stepped up again, finding a new way to put her time and talents to use, making her community a better place. So I had just started this job on March 16th after eight to nine months of a job search and Nashville got hit with the tornado, um, which was devastating and a huge mess. So I was volunteering a lot of my time to help with the cleanup of that. I was lucky enough not to be personally affected by the tornado, but I was spending a lot of my time with that. And then COVID hit, which just, you know, for Nashville, I think hit extra hard because there were so many people trying to find homes in the middle of a pandemic. We are very used to having tornado watches here and large thunderstorms with very, you know, straight line winds. Um, that's stuff that we're used to here, but that tornado appeared in the middle of the night while everyone was sleeping. I have friends who have videos from their apartment buildings where you can see the windows in these high rises, like waving. They look like waves. The windows are just moving and it's right before they're about to bust in. And um, I have one friend who woke up to the sound of the wind and all of that. He grabbed his wife, ran into the bathroom because he saw the windows about to give. And I think less than 30 seconds after they got in there, the window busted and their walls were penetrated with shards of glass. So, I mean, it was horrifying. Thousands of people lost their homes. So many people lost their livelihoods. You know, businesses were destroyed. So we have all these people who are going into these community shelters because they literally don't have roofs over their heads. So there's large groups of people in one place, you know, looking for shelter. And then you have large groups of volunteers going out and trying to clean up all the branches that are everywhere and the rubble from people's homes and helping them sift through that rubble and find, you know, the things that are salvageable that mean something to them. So, I mean, there's crowds of thousands gathered constantly in Nashville at that point. And then COVID hit and all of a sudden the tornado relief just had to stop. And I just, I can't even imagine for those people who were without homes at that time, what that must have been like. It's, I mean, truly unfathomable. Like what a series of unfortunate events to have that hit right before this pandemic. And now they're starting to have more tornado cleanup going on now that, you know, a lot of the quarantine guidelines had been lifted. Now, of course, they're coming back into place. But, you know, once a lot of stuff started to lift, volunteers started going back out. And the same organization that was handling, it's called Hands on Nashville, the same organization that was handling that tornado cleanup was also helping to organize a lot of the COVID testing centers in Nashville. So it's just... It was a lot for one city to handle in such a short period of time. I've always thought about running for office. I was one of those kids that my parents always said I was gonna you know, be president one day. I have just always been very involved in politics, always very passionate about it. And my degree is in political science and I've never used it since I graduated. Obviously, I became a corporate recruiter right out of school. So I'm excited to finally put my degree to use. And 
the opportunity just kind of presented itself. I'm running for um, local city council in Hendersonville, Tennessee. It's not called city council here. It's called the board of aldermen and mayor, but city council is the term that most people know. So the incumbent has been in there for two terms. He's running for his third. And there are two other men in the race as well with me. Um, so I've always wanted to do it and campaigning just, it takes a lot of time, uh, out of your schedule. So having very demanding full-time jobs in the past, it's just never really been an opportunity for me, but I've now been in Hendersonville for two years. So I've gotten to know the community better and I've been able to see, you know, where we're flourishing and where we're not. And it really began, I called in and we had a pothole in front of our driveway that was so big that it bottomed out my husband's challenger every time he pulled in or out. So I called the city and they came out and fixed that. And, you know, I was talking to the public works workers that were out there while they were doing it. And I said, yeah, you know, this will be great to hold us over until, you know, the whole road can get repaved. Because if you could see the roads in my neighborhood, it's it's just gravel. You know, it's probably been close to 30 years, I would assume, since it's been repaved. So it is just gravel and potholes. We don't have sidewalks in my neighborhood. So, you know, I've seen kids take some serious spills off of scooters and rollerblades. There are a lot of young families in my neighborhood where people are out pushing their babies in strollers and pushing a stroller on that gravel cannot be a pleasant experience for parent or child. So when I made that comment about this will hold us over until the roads repaved, the public works guys laughed. <laughs> they didn't say anything, but it, you know their faces and their tone was almost like, keep dreaming as if that'll happen. And I was just like, that's absurd. This has been like this since before I moved in. It only keeps getting worse. With every rain, the potholes get bigger. Um, we're also a lake town, so we have a lot of drainage issues here. Um, and those drainage issues also contribute to the roads. So it was just kind of seeing and noticing all these issues and, you know, kind of seeing people within this city who know the inner workings laugh about the idea of a road getting repaved within the foreseeable future. It just seems ridiculous. That is what city government is there for, is to make sure that the lives of their citizens in this area are prosperous, are good, are safe, you know, and our roads are not safe. So that's kind of what started me on the journey. And now, of course, I've been knocking on doors, I have to get a certain number of signatures to get my name on the ballot. So I'm going around knocking on doors, trying to get signatures for my petition. And as I'm doing that, just asking everyone, you know, what do you wish the city council was taking care of that they haven't been? right now. And so I'm really trying to build my platform and the things that I'm fighting for around the needs of my neighbors and the people who would be my constituents if I were elected. Because, you know, yes, my neighborhood roads and drainage issues are what got me to run, but that's not all I want to fix when I get in there. I don't just want to do things that benefit me and my neighborhood. I want to make sure that we're addressing the issues of everyone. So that's kind of been my process so far. Um, I do officially have enough signatures on my petition to turn it in and be put on the ballot, but I'm going to keep going to get even more signatures just because I want it to be as strong as possible. And in that process, I'm going to learn a lot more about what my neighbors want to see change 
in Hendersonville. And those are the things I'm hoping to fight for. It actually has been great. I've had my mask with me. Uh, the, the first couple of days I was doing it, you know, I just kind of had it in my back pocket. And if the person who answered the door was older or had a mask on themselves or had a child, I would put it on just for safety. Um, but then cases started to rise again. So now I wear my mask the whole time that I'm out there um, just because, you know, I'm not sick, at least not to my knowledge. But I don't want to put anyone at risk in my process of campaigning and, you know, trying to learn what my neighbors need. So now I'm wearing my mask and everyone's been really supportive, really kind when I come to their door. And I don't know if it's because there's been such a lack of human interaction recently, but people are so willing to talk to me. And, you know, I've very much expected to have doors slammed in my face, to have rude things said to me, to, you know, just have people kind of say like, no, I don't want to talk to you. I'm not interested. I don't care about politics and send me on my way. But that has almost never been the case in my time of knocking on doors. Everyone has been so kind, so welcoming, so willing to chat. And it's been really great. And, you know, a lot of people, especially in my area, don't love the mask idea, but it hasn't personally impacted my campaign yet. Our county mayor just a couple of days ago did um, mandate that masks be worn. He issued an executive order for the county that masks be worn. So now it's becoming more common, I think. And obviously there are a lot of people who are upset about that mandate, but nobody has said anything to me when I knock on their door wearing a mask. You know, nobody's been like, why are you wearing that mask? You shouldn't be. Everyone's just been really kind, like I said. So it hasn't affected me yet, but I am sure that at some point in the near future, it will. And I am personally someone who ascribes to the idea that the government should not really be involved in healthcare, but public health is kind of its own segment. So mandating the masks, oh, it's it's just, it's so difficult. Um, you know, that intersection of healthcare and politics. It's such a tricky and thin line. I understand why people are upset about being told that they have to wear something out in public. But there are a lot of things that a lot of people are told they have to do by the government. And this keeps people safer. So I, I do understand why the governments are mandating this. And I also understand that people can choose not to listen to that. And in response to that, businesses may choose to turn them away. I just, I really think that we should, in terms of the, the pandemic, I think we should be listening to healthcare and public health experts. Um, you know, this was an unprecedented event. Um, having COVID hit, I don't think anyone knew what to do. And we just kind of have to go with the flow right now, but we have to be taking the opinions of healthcare and public health experts as the gospel when it comes to this and not politicians who don't have any experience in public health or healthcare. You know, people who don't have that background, they can have opinions, but that's all they are. Um, experts and their expert opinions using their education and their experience those are the ones that we should be listening to and making decisions based off of. 
So for anyone else who's in my boat, who has been laid off, who lost their position, I would just encourage them to be networking. And if you're a professional who's not on LinkedIn, who hasn't put their resume out on resume sites like Indeed or CareerBuilder, do that immediately. The day after I found out I had gotten laid off, I, I posted on LinkedIn and it's gotten, I think, over 12,000 views. And so many people have reached out to me and been, you know, just offering words of support and kindness, but also trying to connect me with opportunities as well. So because of the world that we're living in currently, people are so willing to help and they, they want to make a difference because things are so dark in so many ways right now. And I think, you know, we all want to be part of adding light to that. And so if you just put it out there, if you ask for help, people are going to respond to that. And that's been the thing that's given me the most hope through this is just, you know, I put it out there. It was just a very simple post about being laid off. And the response I got was, was overwhelming. So just put yourself out there, ask for the help, let people know your situation, be honest, be vulnerable. And I think that, you know, for those who haven't done that yet, they'll be very surprised by the response that they get back. In case you're wondering, her LinkedIn post from the day after she was laid off is exactly how Cassie and I first got connected. This podcast features the stories of real people. To learn more about Cassie and her story, visit our website, covidstoriespodcast.com. You'll find show notes for each episode as well as ways to support the people featured here and the passions that fuel their stories. COVID Stories is a self-supported podcast. It's produced and edited by me, Nathan J. Vaughn. To learn more about this project or to submit your own story to be included in a future episode, visit our website. The address, again, is covidstoriespodcast.com. Thanks for listening.